Hello, and welcome to another great message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Thanks for joining us today. For notes and video related to this message, please visit www.parkviewchurch.org. Welcome to Parkview. I'm glad you're here. I'm Doug, one of the pastors. And yeah, we are starting a brand new book of the Bible, Nehemiah, and hopefully that gave you a little bit of an overview, but we've got 10 weeks uh, to unpack this book. I think it's going to be great. So before we get into it, let me just say a couple things. Um, first, we took a Thanksgiving offering at the end of last year. I just want to applaud you guys out of the Thanksgiving offerings we've taken. That's like the third highest ever, which means we're able to get some funding then to some organizations like uh, Rafa House, which helps girls that have been caught in human trafficking in Cambodia in particular. So thankful for that. Uh, Choices Clinic here locally, the Birdhouse locally, uh, Faith Academy, uh, which is uh, the school we have over on the southeast side of Iowa City. We'll get, get some of that as well. Um, I might be forgetting, but all the main targets have been blessed. Global workers are going to ha- have some money now to be able to, to address some of the projects they have and excited for that. And then the Church Multiplication Fund, too, uh, that we used last year to help launch the East Campus. So all those things are now funded um, and, and ready to be deployed. So I want to thank you for your generosity. And remember a couple weeks ago we talked about one of our banners this year is to be a radically generous people, that God has been radically generous with us. So how can we also then be radically generous with others? So that's, praise God for that. The second one is, um, in this new study, this new study of Nehemiah, there's some books that go along with it. So you've seen them the last couple weeks, in and out. You're welcome to grab one. And each chapter of the book has two parts. One is a part that you do on your own, that you read the Bible on your own during the week. If you want to prepare for the, the passage we're covering in church that week, it'll ask you some questions. It'll get you into the Bible during the week. Then there's another section that's meant for you to go through with a group of people. And so we're, we're encouraging community groups to use this as well. And if you're not in a community group, one thing we're also trying to do for you is during the third hour in this series, there will be a community group that will meet here at Parkview. We call it a beta group. It's like a, a starting group. And it'll be a chance for you to meet some people, but then also do a study of the book of Nehemiah uh, using this book. So that'll be during third hours during this series. So Anyway, excited to get into this. So Nehemiah is a great book, and you just got a quick overview there. What I like about Nehemiah is he's just a guy, okay? He's not like a pastor or priest or a prophet. There's no miracles that happen in the book of Nehemiah, but Nehemiah is a guy that got her done. He built the walls around Jerusalem with a bunch of people in 52 days. Like he's a get-her-done kind of guy. There are a lot of people that will study the book of Nehemiah to learn leadership principles, even even not looking at it as a Bible story, but as a leadership lesson. There's a lot of things we can learn. You're going to learn from Nehemiah uh, about the kinds of people that God uses. There are many traits, many disciplines that you'll see in his life. Um, Because here's the deal, and and actually the the book of Nehemiah fits right in with this too, is that there's a grand narrative that God is writing throughout human history. And that narrative is that God loves to bless his people so that we will be a blessing to uh, the nations, to our neighbors and our nations. And so, and so sometimes we think our narrative, like my personal life, is the grand narrative. And so like everybody else is a supporting cast to my life. And even God will bring him down to be the supporting cast to my life. And what God actually does is he loves to use people who see that he's the one writing a grand narrative and that we get to live our lives in light of what his story is. And so what excites me about sharing the book of Nehemiah with you guys, with a church like this, 
is that there are so many of you that are just hungry and say, God, what do you want to do with me? What do you want to do with my life? How can my life, my circumstances, God, contribute to the eternal things that you're doing all around this world? And so whether you're in high school or you work a job or you're retired or you're raising kids at home, like all of us can lean into this book and God's going to show you some things about how can you, the way you're living your life, tap into what God is doing. And so that's kind of the big picture here. So let me pray and we'll just jump into this book. And let me just give you a heads up too. Um, we're preaching a little earlier in the service because you're going to see the end of Nehemiah 1 is an amazing prayer that he lays out. And so we're going to do what Nehemiah did for the last half of our service. We're going to pray and worship the way that he did. And so that's what's going on. It's going to be at least last hour. They said it was a good morning. So it puts pressure on you guys. It better be good, right? If it isn't good, it's not, yeah, whatever. Let me, let me just pray and we'll get on it. So uh, Father, thanks that we're here today. Um, it's awesome to be with your people. I'm so thankful for this church, God. So thankful for men, women, students, kids who love you, just want to get closer to you. I want to see how you want to use them. So this is an awesome book, God, for us in this time, uh, this church in this time. Uh, would you just show us, God, would we listen, would we learn, would we apply all the things you're going to challenge us with through the life of Nehemiah? So, so begin that now, please. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's jump in to the book if you have a Bible. Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to start right away in verse 1. <clears throat> the verses will be on the screen. You also have an outline in the bulletin you were given. So it says, Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the capital. Here's one thing about Nehemiah. Let me pause. I forgot to say this. 13 chapters. Over half of it is written in the first person. So Nehemiah didn't write this book, but whoever wrote it, got a hold of Nehemiah's journal. That's what kind of makes this book unique. Like you're just reading the journal of a guy who God used. Okay, so that's why it's first person. He says, I was in Susa, the capital, uh, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Okay, so we gave you a little overview in the video you watched. Also in your study guides, there'll be a great overview and setup of what's going on with God's people. But just for our purposes this morning, basically Nehemiah is one of, is one of God's people who has been uh, sent into exile. God warned his people that if you uh, reject me, if you disobey me, then, then you will go into exile. And that's exactly what happened. So the, the nation of Babylon overtook uh, Jerusalem and in 586 just ransacked the city, tore down the walls, the temple, and the city was ruined. And somewhere in there, Nehemiah was taken into exile and was now living in Babylon. And so his role is he's a cupbearer to the king. Like he's the guy that tastes the wine to make sure it's not poison. Tells you about the political climate in that day. Or maybe even would have tasted the food. But basically constantly hung around the king. And we'll talk a little bit more about next week about how he might have gotten that job and all that. But it was kind of a nice job. It was a good cush setup. And so he's there. And what's happened is in the maybe 50 to 70 years before uh, Nehemiah, is that different kings, and we're going to, again, next week talk more about this, but some pagan kings had to turn a heart and let God's people go back to Jerusalem, even with uh, stash and equipment, 
um, goods to go rebuild a temple, for example. And so there had been two different waves of exiles returning to Jerusalem. And so what Nehemiah is doing is he's asking, hey, how are things back home? How's it going? And so he's about 800 miles away from Jerusalem at this time, as, as you would have traveled then. And so he's asking for the latest update, and the news he got just crushed him. You saw that he, he fasted, he mourned, he wept. And the bad news was that the walls of Jerusalem were down. Now, we hear that, and you just think, yes, so, go to Lowe's, throw up a wall, get some gates, it's all good. So when there were a couple of things that just devastated Nehemiah when he heard that news. First, if you tried to live in a city in that day without walls, you were just completely exposed. And you're going to see this in the weeks ahead, that God's people had enemies on almost every side of them. And so to have a, a secure and prosperous city, you needed walls to defend uh, your country and to keep people out. So that was part of it. But the second thing that I think especially got Nehemiah's heart is that the hopes had been built. Okay, yeah, we know we um, got ransacked in 586. We know we disobeyed God and that he judged us. But we've been going back. We've been rebuilding. And so he was hoping for good news. Yeah, the temple's built. The walls are up. You know, God is being faithful to his promise. And so it was like a dagger to his heart that he hears, okay, it's not going well. Things are bad. And so it's not only for his brothers that he cares for on the human level, but it's really, for, I believe, for Nehemiah, it was for the name of the glory of God. Like, God, this doesn't look good for you. If Jerusalem isn't going well, God, you're not really trending well. Like, if, if it's not strong and glorious, because the hope was, in God's grand narrative, was that Jerusalem would be the city on the hill, um, Zion, the city that God blesses, and that all the nations would see how amazing God is and would be drawn to him through his people. And so now it's the exact opposite. Jerusalem's a dump. The walls are down, and the people are not flourishing. And so it crushes his heart. So a couple things I want to just pull out of Nehemiah already, that if, as I look through the Bible and as I look even through people I know, the people that God uses to do big things for his narrative Usually where it starts is with a broken heart. There's something that just absolutely crushes you. Something you look at and see that isn't fair, that isn't right. Somebody needs to help those people. And something moves God's people, but it starts with a broken heart. We don't have a lot of backstory on Nehemiah about what he was like or what his relationship with God was like. But just from this instance, there's a couple things you can tell. I believe that Nehemiah was close enough to God that he could see with God's eyes. And that he was close enough to God's heart that when God's heart started pounding or when God's heart started breaking, that his heart did the same thing. And when he heard that God's people and the glory of God, you know, in a lot of ways were being kind of defaced and ashamed, it just crushed his heart because I think he was walking closely with God. And so I got to ask us this morning, like, what is it, what is it that breaks your heart? And, you know, it's easy for our hearts to break when it's something for us. Like I had a bad day or I got fired or my girlfriend broke up with me or like whatever. Those are legit. I mean, God cares about your hurts, but like there's something, there's something about somebody whose heart who breaks for someone else. And especially like think about Nehemiah. It's good for him, right? He's eating good food. He, you know, it's not like come and go wine. Like he's, he's drinking the real stuff. Like he's, he's there and he's fed and he's cared for, but people 800 miles away are suffering and it crushes his heart. And so just ask us, when is the last time our hearts have really been, been broken like that? And so um, what breaks God's heart? You just think about when Jesus walked on the planet, 
um, one time he saw a crowd of people and he said that it, the Bible says he was filled with compassion. That word meant literally that his guts were just churning because the people were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So, so Jesus' heart was moved. There was a time where a leper came up to be healed and Jesus was just crushed with compassion for this guy. Um, Jesus, I believe, went to the cross because he was just crushed for our need for a savior, for somebody to take away our sins. And so, and so what is it that crushes your heart? It's been interesting the last uh, couple weeks, um, for different reasons, leaders from different churches from different parts of the country have just been kind of walking around Parfum and meeting some people and just kind of seeing what we're doing. Do you know like when you're around something for a while, you can just kind of get used to it and just get accustomed to it? It's been really healthy for me to have people completely from the outside, for example, uh, just walk through Faith Academy and just like jaw on the ground going, your church does this? It's like, yeah, this is amazing. You know, or to go hear about like the Sudan party that happened the other night. You guys have Sudanese people coming and just building relationships with people in your church? Oh, yeah. Like, whoa. You know, like, so just several of the things like that that we go, you know, we announce them. Everybody goes, yeah, I heard that announcement before. But, like, there are some staggering things. And what's been helpful for me as a pastor is just to think back, well, where did those things start? Those things all started with somebody whose heart was broken for somebody else. Like Doug Fern, who's working 10 years with kids on the southeast side who just was getting restless. Well, we got to do something to really help these kids. And what if we educate them? What if we... You know, there was a guy at our Global Workers Conference named Don Davis that does urban ministry around the country. And he, I was sitting at a table with him, and he says, Doug, you need to hear this, that, that these are especially difficult days to reach urban youth. But what you guys are doing, this model, this concept, is off the charts. Like, I'm not seeing this in many other places in the country. That's affirming. Or you think about, um, what was it that started the deal of having Sudanese come into our church or to have people from Parkview like befriend international students. It started with people whose hearts break for these people who come from parts of the world where they don't hear the gospel. And they're here for four years and they want to be friends with us. Like they want relationships. And so that drove somebody to get that going. I think of Scott and his team, 24-7 team. Their hearts ache for college students. Uh, 30,000 of them. And who knows how many of them really know Jesus, but that's what drives them on a, I think it's a weekly basis. They prayer walk around the campus and just ask God to move. And so when I just look at what's going on around Parkview, I just trace it back and it starts with a broken heart. It starts with people who, again, not for themselves, but on behalf of others, just say, God, somebody's got to do something. God, somebody's got to move and help uh, these people. And so that's exactly where Nehemiah was. And I just ask you, what is it that's breaking? What's breaking your heart? You know, there's so many times where I just get grabbed as I go through this community. Like, if you ever go to a back-to-school night, if you're a parent, like I live in North Liberty, one of the newer schools that was instantly packed. And so you go to those nights, and you just see all these kids and parents, and you're just wondering, like, who's, how many of these parents know, like, uh, that God can help their marriage, that God can help them lead their children, that, that God has a plan for them, that God is for them? Do they even know that? There was a recent survey that came out about our area by the Barna Group, and it, it was the title of it was the least biblically minded cities in the country. Okay, and look at this slide that'll pop up. So this is the bottom of the stack, and so Albany would be the least biblically minded city. Look where Cedar—actually, it's the Cedar Rapids corridor. So think Iowa City, Cedar Rapids, Waterloo. We are less biblically minded than Las Vegas and San Francisco. 
that ought to grab your heart right there. There are a lot of people in our, in our neighborhoods just winging it without any direction from God and his word with no clue that God loves them, God's committed to them, God sent Jesus to die for them. They just don't get that. And so that ought to turn in you. And, and uh, can I throw out something too? You know that survey we took a couple months ago and we asked how many of us are, are reading this book regularly? That number was below 50%. And I just like, as a pastor, it's like, we got to get that up. Like, we've, we've got this book. Like, we've got truth from God, hope from God that not only do we need, but our neighbors in this whole, this whole area needs this. And so, and so what is it that breaks your heart? And so Nehemiah heard this news. It crushed his heart. It was like a punch in the stomach. And I love what he did next. He prayed. Uh, he prayed. We'll, we'll fill this in more next week. But he prayed for four months. That's staggering, especially when you get to know Nehemiah. Maybe you caught a glimpse of him from that the video. Um, he was a man of action. He built the stinking walls in 52 days, right? So that's a guy, like, I imagine if you're around Nehemiah mostly, he's walking fast. Like, if you want to talk to him, you're walking with him. Or if you're talking to him, he's like, yep, 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 let's go. Like, so, but for him to have the foresight, the wisdom to just fall on his knees, to fast and to pray, for four months is, is amazing. And again, we'll see what that did for him next week. But what, what I love about, not only did he pray, but, but he just models for us that spiritual leadership starts on your knees. Last week, we met with uh, men and women that were interested in this year-long Parkview leadership training track. And this is where we started. We just started with, if we're going to be spiritual leaders, we start on our knees. We talked about the examples in the Bible, like Daniel and Moses, and David, and, and obviously Jesus modeled for us the need uh, for prayer. I love quotes like this, like when John Piper speaks to pastors and says, are not our people really yearning to be around a man who has been around God? Take that out of pastor world. Are not your friends, what the greatest thing you could give to your friends would be you in God's presence praying, or you are a way better parent parents when God than when you're just winging it, right? Ask your kids, hey, would you rather mom or dad be like really prayed up and like just good with God, or do you want them to just kind of wing it, especially on the hard days, right? So which would you rather have? So the best gift you give to your spouse is you being a man or a woman of, of prayer. So Tim Keller says that prayer is rebellion against the world's status quo. And so when Nehemiah saw that something wasn't right, that's what he did first. He prayed because that's how you do battle with the world's status I love this quote by A.C. Dixon. He says, when we depend on organizations, we get what organizations can do. When we depend on education, we get what education can do. When we depend upon man, we get what man can do. But when we depend upon prayer, we get what God can do. So Nehemiah prayed. And so verse 5, we'll see his prayer. And what you're going to see, sometimes if you kind of struggle, it's like, well, I'm not sure how I should pray, or could you give me some ideas? Nehemiah just lays out a beautiful outline of what our prayers could look like. It kind of resembles the Lord's Prayer, resembles some other prayers you see in the Scripture. So verse 5, uh, he says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So he starts with praise. So many times when we're in stress or trouble or uptight about something, man, we just come blaring with our requests. Now, let's, sometimes that's legit. Like when Peter was drowning, he didn't start with, oh, Jesus, Lord of the heavens, 
I just worship you. Like he was drowning. He just said, Lord, save me. So those are awesome. We'll see Nehemiah do a quick, we'll call it arrow prayers, like a quick one next week. But just in general, if your prayer life is you just running in and just throwing your list at God and then running out, let's look at what Nehemiah did, okay? So he started with praise. And you see, he just lifted up God's greatness and his goodness, that he's the God who is great and awesome. God, there is none like you. God, you are all-powerful. God, you do whatever you please. God, you are holy. You are majestic. You are sovereign. You're in control. You are the king of all. You are the ruler of this universe. There's that time of worship, but then he also links with that. That God, you are a God of steadfast love. You're loyal to your people. You initiate love and mercy and grace. You are good to us. Guys, that's an amazing one-two punch that you have a God who is great and who is, is good. And so that's who, you, that's who you pray to. It's a powerful com- combination. That prayer then in that mode, when you start by praising God, it just it sets up the rest of your prayer. It's like setting the table that, that now you step in. Now that you see who he is, now you're ready to pray. Okay, somebody put it like this. Prayer plunges us into the fullness of who God is. His love becomes more real than the rejection or disappointment that we are experiencing. And then we can handle our problems. Like you come before God, you're overwhelmed with his greatness, overwhelmed with his goodness, and then you're ready to pray. It just kind of sets a whole different tone um, on the whole situation, on whatever it is you're worked up about, and really the rest of your prayer. Okay, so you start with praise. And then in verse 6, you see him just kind of roll out a time of confessing, confessing his sin and his people's sin. So verse 6, he says, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the covenants, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. So confession does a couple things. First, it reminds us that we really come before God with nothing. You know, God, God is incredibly merciful with us. It just reminds us of his mercy and grace. The only way we can approach him is because that he has had Jesus Christ come and save us from sin, rescue us from sin, remove our sin. It just keeps us in that posture of just being mindful how good he has been to us. It's also good just to uh, to clean the slate, that if, if you are in Christ, if Jesus is your Savior, your sins are forgiven, you move from being God's enemy to being his heir, his son or his daughter. Now you're just crying out, like Romans 8 says, that the Holy Spirit is in you, crying out, Daddy, Abba, Father. So you have that intimate relationship with him. But, but still, as believers, when we sin, um, we, we need to confess that. We need to clean the slate in our relationship with him. And there's an amazing promise in 1 John 1, 9. It says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful, he's just, and he will forgive you of your sins. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Two things it says, that God is faithful. He'll forgive you because he's faithful. That means he's loving, he's loyal, he's your father. He's not going anywhere. He is committed to you. So out of his faithfulness, he'll forgive you. But it's also just for him to forgive you. It means it's right. For him. That sounds a little bit pushy. How can I say, okay, God, it's, I, it's right for you to forgive me, but here's where it's right for him to forgive you. That when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for your sin. 
Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when you ask for forgiveness, the payment, the debt you owe God has already been paid. So it's the right thing for God to do to forgive you. It's not the right thing for God to say, well, I'm not so sure I'm going to forgive that one. You better clean up a little bit more, a little bit more. So it's incredibly freeing to realize that God forgives you because he is faithful and he's just. It just it magnifies what Jesus has done for you on the cross to cover your sin. And so Nehemiah did that. He, he confessed not only the people's sin, but his own sin, the sin in his own family. And then there's something um, that you can experience as you come into God's presence. Hebrews 14, 16 says that we can come with confidence and draw near to the throne of grace so that we can receive mercy and grace uh, to help in time of need. So you belong there. Even as a sinner, because of Christ, you belong in God's presence. He wants you to come with boldness. And so I don't know how you pray sometimes. or I love it. Sometimes people have been, I love the honesty in this statement, but sometimes people say, I don't pray as much because I just, I know I haven't been living right. I just know I've been kind of distant from them. I think God would say, just, just come, confess that sin. Don't come to me only when you're performing well, but come to me all the time. Come to me with your sin. Let me forgive that, and then let's go on. Let's move forward. And so, so after that time of confession, there's now a time of, uh, re, of just claiming God's promises. Look at verse 8. He says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are as the are in the uttermost part of heaven. From there, I would gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. What Nehemiah does next is he just starts claiming God's promises. In in particular, he's claiming the promise that God said, okay, I will scatter you if you disobey, but if you return to me, I will bring you back and I will restore you as a people. So Nehemiah is saying, God, I'm just clinging to your promise. Remember, you said you would do that. And so again, that's not pushy. That's not defiant. That's just celebrating the relationship that he has with God. Sin's forgiven. And now he can claim and cling to the promises as, as God's child, as God's son. And I wonder, like, what are your promises that you cling to? What are the truths that God has said to you? You know, for me, there's different ones. Like, there's a bunch in Book of Philippians I cling to. There's a bunch in Romans chapter 8 that I cling to, that, like, that God is for us, who can be against us, or that in all these things we can be more than conquerors. Like Whatever you're facing, it's not like you're going to barely get through it, but you're gonna, and you're not going to just conquer it, but you're going to more than conquer it because of him who loves you. Like There are so many promises in Scripture that you can hang to in those hard times. And so that can be a part of your prayer life as well, too. You praise God. You confess your sin. You just claim his promises. And then what that does for you is this last step, is it just sets you up then to ask boldly and to ask specifically for things. That when you see something that's really breaking your heart or something's really gone wrong for you, now you're set up to just go right at it. Okay, God, this is what I need. And that's exactly what Nehemiah did. Verse 11, he says, Now let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. What you're going to see is that when Nehemiah heard about the walls being down, he didn't just say, okay, God, fix the walls. God, help those people. But something in him churned that I want to do that. I want to be the guy to go fix those walls. I want to be the guy to step into that. 
And so he's asking specifically, God, give me success because I'm going to step into that situation that you showed me. And then he asks specifically even more. He says, give me mercy in the sight of this man. You might ask, who's this man? Again, remember, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. And so as he's praying for four months, you'll see this next week. Nehemiah is conjuring up a plan. Okay, now if I got, a, if I got the right chance and the king says, what do you need? Like, how can I help you fix Jerusalem? Boom, you're going to see that next week. It's awesome. He's going to have this great plan. But what he's prompting that with first is, God, would you give me favor? God, I know a time is coming where I've got to ask this guy, if I can get some time off, I can go build that wall. Would you give me favor? And God is honored by big prayers and by bold requests, just like this. And I've said this to you guys before. Bottom line, God loves to hear from you, okay? But I think sometimes, if, if I were God, my eyes would roll at some of the things we just kind of pray for. It's like, bless me today. I have. Okay, what else you got? You know, like, just be with everybody today. I am. So what else do you need? Like, what else do you got? You know, like, just some of the little puny things we throw out there. He's just kind of waiting. And I think when one of his kids asks for something, lines up with his will, like it's God-sized, man, then you get God's attention. It's like, hey, there we go. Now we're talking. I just wonder how many things we miss out on our lives because we're just dribbling out these little wimpy guys. You know, like so, but when you go through that praise and the confession, claiming God's promises, and then he's burning in your heart for something, man, you ask big and you watch God show up. I think sometimes we're afraid of a couple different things. We might be afraid that, well, if I ask too big, what if God doesn't come through? Or what if God doesn't do what I'm asking him to? And I've got to admit, this chapter's been good for me because there's been some big things in my life that I feel like I've been, okay, I've said it again, God. I've said it again. I've prayed bold. I, I praised. I confessed. I claimed promises. God, where are you? And so I think sometimes we're afraid, this is so stupid, that we have to, don't pray big because God might not be able to come through. Like, like we have to defend God's greatness. Like, hello, that's not a good idea, okay? So God is doing fine. God's got it down, okay? So, but go ahead and ask. And sometimes we might be afraid to ask, like, well, I'm not sure this is his will, but just ask. If you're praising and confessing and clinging to his promises and he's burdening your heart for someone else that's going to be part of his grand narrative, man, ask away, okay? Don't hold back. And if there's something wrong in that, God will show you. God will kind of, Move your will to line up with his will, but just ask away. I love this. Tim Keller said this, that we know that when we ask God something, he will either give us what we asked for or he will give us what we would have asked for if we know everything that he knows. Like bottom line, you have nothing to lose in asking for big things from God because you know that he ultimately is the source of every good thing in your life. Every blessing in your life is going to keep coming your way, whether he answers that prayer or not, whether he's got something bigger he's going to do than you were asking or something different than you are thinking he should do, it's going to be better. It's going to be good. So just keep asking away. I read this week that in his early years, Jonathan Edwards had a three-point sermon that I just think is awesome. Like the first one is, our bad things uh, will turn out good. The second one was, uh, good things will never be taken away from you. And third, the best things are still to come. Like you've got a great setup, right? So just, just ask, and you've got a good father who will continue to, to use you, to bless you, to respond to you, to meet your needs, but just keep, keep asking away. And so um, an amazing benefit happens when you pray like Nehemiah did. A couple of things happen. One is, for some reason, and I don't totally get how or why, but God moves through the prayers of his people. So as your heart is moving towards someone, something, some cause, 
just know that somehow in what he does and writes this story, that God uses your prayers, and that, that's amazing. But the second thing, not only will your prayers help out there, but your prayers are going to help in here. Because the alternative is, if something's crushing your heart that bad, and, and you just keep that in, and you're not asking God for help, then, then you're crushing yourself. Like just think of the things you do when you're worked up, and you don't give it to God. It's not pretty, right? If we ran a montage of us when we're freaking out and we're not bringing God into it, that's, that's not beautiful at all, okay? So, so it, it calms you. Like Psalm 4610 spoke to me hard this week. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. I just, you just say, chill out. So like it's good for out there, what you're praying for, and it's good for in here. So, what I want to do now is uh, just do what Nehemiah did, and Jacob's going to come and help me out with this too. But um, I just want to invite you into a time where we're going to praise, we're going to confess, we're going to um, remember his promises, and then we're going to ask him boldly. And so let's start with a time of just praising God, and I'll help you with, there's a slide that'll come up to give you some qualities about God that you could just um, praise him for. You can pray quietly where you're sitting and just praise him, he'll hear you. Um, if you're with some people that you'd like to pray with, you're totally welcome to just pray out loud as well. But the first, the first stretch of time here, what, what we'll do is just praise God, okay? So let's pray. Let me start us, and then the time's yours to just, to just give God some praise. Uh, God, I just pray in the next uh, couple minutes that you would just, your ears would be delighted to hear the praises of your people. Just like Nehemiah cried out to you, as the great and good God, may you hear our voices praising you as well. So church, start praising him. Praise him for who he is. Tell him, tell him how great he is. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Parkview Church. We pray that you are blessed by God's word. For additional teaching, resources, podcasts, as well as information on who we are and our upcoming events, please visit our website at www.parkviewchurch.org.